0: And so I, on a whim, I was like, I kind of want to do this, but I am going to get laughed at. Like they're going to, they're going to assume like, well, you know, what courses have you been taking? Or do you have an MFA or do you? And I just remember thinking like, I've never taken a class in poetry. I, and here I am wanting to write poetry. I'm not allowed to do that. Or I am not a creative writing major. I was an English minor, but mostly because I like to read a lot of books. And I just, I met with a guy who was um, heading the, the workshop, and I sort of told him that I wanted to do, and he was like, yeah, just join us. And you know, there was no, like, form I had to fill out. There was no application or, or test that I had to do. And um, I do remember being a little bit afraid that I was gonna get laughed at, you know? Like, this is not what you're an expert at. You can't possibly be good at this.
1: Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Hello, my friend. Wow, starting something new... It can be scary. There's a fair amount of discomfort that is just baked in to the process of putting yourself in the position of being a beginner. But oh, the rewards on the other side of it. My guest today is Lydia Kang. She started writing in her mid-30s, but she had to overcome some fear about even starting to write. It wasn't her area of expertise. She was a doctor. And she was afraid that she'd be laughed at for even trying. Now, at the age of 50, she's written 10 novels. Her most recent novel is The Half-Life of Ruby Fielding, which I totally enjoyed, by the way. And besides that, oh my gosh, this is crazy. She is now writing a novel as part of the Star Wars universe. She was invited to do this. How cool is that? Our conversation covers a lot of territory around the idea of allowing ourselves to be vulnerable in order to try something new. You you see, as a doctor, she was used to being an expert in her field. So we talk about how scary it can be to start something new and put yourself in that position of being a beginner, how uncomfortable it can be to ask for help. I can't wait for you to meet her. But before I do, I want to invite you to a launch party for the Midlife Uprising community. It is happening on July 12th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. It'll go for an hour. And we have some fun things in store for you. I am so excited to bring you together with other women who are interested in exploring what's next as we age. I'd love to have you join us. You can go to midlifeuprising.com to get more information. So, okay, without further ado, let me introduce you to Lydia Kang. Let's go. Hi, Lydia. Thank you so much for being with me today. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. (laughs) I'm super excited. I
0: have to tell you how much I loved your book. Thank you so much. I it, so, it always makes me so happy to hear that. Never it never gets old.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really like you hooked me from page 1 and kept me I I I just You know, I don't have a lot of time to sit and and read luxuriously. And it was one of those books um, where I was brushing my teeth while I was reading, you know, (laughs) trying to fit in every, I'm like, my husband's laughing at me when he's always like, oh, it's a good one, right? Oh, that's a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) So, and wow, to the surprise ending, totally got me.
0: Yay. I'm going to say I'm so happy to fool my readers into all sorts of red herrings so yes <laughs>
1: yes yes well I, I did not see that particular thing coming and it was very cool and I don't want to say anything else that would be a spoiler <laughs> but um, you know it's funny I, I usually when I'm interviewing somebody who's an author it's usually somebody who has um, published their first novel in midlife or beyond and
0: you have published ten books 10 books. No, Ruby, um, The Half-Life of Ruby Fielding is my 10th published book. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I kind of, um, I was losing count after a while, which is like a really wonderful problem to have. And I kind of did the counting and I was like, oh my God, Ruby's number 10. This is amazing. Yeah. So um, yeah. And I've been doing this, probably writing super intensely since 2009. So it's been about like 13 years of writing like it's my job. Um, so it's been pretty
1: great. Congratulations. That's an amazing achievement. But and, and so the thing is, though, is that you're actually a phys- you're a physician as well yes. as being an author. Yes,
0: I am. Um, I'm a part time physician. I work in primary care, internal medicine, and I work at um, the University of Nebraska Medical Center here in Omaha. And I, I've been here actually for about 16 years, but I've been a physician for um, over 20 years now. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited
1: to talk to you about the, even though, I mean, you're still on the, you're still on the younger side of like midlife, I feel like, but you, this was, the writing is something that started happening in your late thirties, right? That is right. Yes. So that's about the time when I look back, that's about the time I think I actually started my midlife metamorphosis of some sort like I started that when I started this podcast I was approaching 50 and mm-hmm. I thought that I was feeling at that point like midlife would be people circling 50 and I have since come to realize that midlife is much larger people who self-identify as midlife mm-hmm. it's a much larger swath and and once I started to think about um, my own story, I realized that a lot of it started mid thirties and it sounds like that was true for
0: you too. Yeah. Yeah. It really was mid thirties. I think it was, I had just had my third child. And so, um, I was in my mid thirties then I had my first kid when I was 30. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I just turned 50 this past fall. So we're kind of on the same, we're sort of the same age right now. But, um, congratulations, but yeah, congratulations, started... I'll say, and welcome Thank to you. the club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm here. I made it. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, it, for me, it started sort of mid-30s. And I just, I found myself always wanting to, I found myself constantly occupied by doing other things outside of my job so i would just pick up like craft projects and but i would do them super intensely and then I move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing and so when writing became an option that i was willing to try and i sort of kind of broke through some fears to try to um take those first steps um i was yeah i was in my my mid to late 30s and i um probably was i would say 30 I was 39 slash 40 when I got my first agent and book deal. So that's when it all really started to intensify. How
1: did you, what What was the, the first time you, you picked up a pen or a pencil or started clicking away on your keyboard? What was that? You talked about your fears and, and yes. being able to get past that. Were you thinking about writing before that and you were stopping yourself? And what I did was. you do to get past that?
0: yeah so some of it was just really kind of silly like i when i was in third grade i was like an avid reader as a kid and um i was a serial rereader. i was the kind of person who would write like read like the little house books like over and over and over and over again and then i would you know pick something else up and i would read them over and, and i would just come to these books because they were like my old friends so in third grade i decided i would try to write a novel or write a book and it was all of like three sentences long but the main character died in the first first and like in the first three sentences. And then I had nowhere to go. It was just terrible. And I, I sort of like folded that piece of paper and like sort of put it away. And I was like, okay, basically I can't write a book. Cause it's really hard. And I think that really stuck in my brain of like, this is really hard. You can't do it. And I enjoyed English classes, but I was never like really great in that class. I was never one of the star students. I was really good at science. And it was just the name of the game, you know, in the, when you're growing up in the 70s and the 80s, it's sort of like what you're good at is what you go into, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, I decided to go into medicine when I was in college. And even when I was in college, like I, would, I did some journal writing in high school. And in college, I took a creative writing course. But I, I remember that there were like these stars in the class that were like the good writers, and I was just okay. And I kept taking these as these signs from the universe that like, you're not meant to do this. You're just all right at it. Like you have these other gifts, just go with them. And um, so it wasn't until I was a young attending and I had two kids and um, I woke up in the middle of the night with this burning feeling like I needed to write down this interaction I had with a patient. And so I did. I woke up at like one in the morning, sat down, I wrote an essay about it, and I submitted it to the humanity section of a medical journal. So medical journals have these sort of creative nonfiction areas where you can submit. So that's what I did. And lo and behold, it got accepted. And I had my first publication. I thought, this is incredible. I can't believe I did this. I'm not a great writer, but I, I did something. And I tried a couple more times and I get I got rejection after rejection and I sort of gave up a little bit. And then I moved to Omaha, and it was then that I had my third kid. And I heard about this, um, this group of people that was, it was a writing group, and they were putting physicians together with local poets and writers, and just trying to help people in the healthcare community be more creative for whatever reason they wanted to. Maybe it was burnout, maybe they just wanted to try to write poetry. And so I, on a whim, I was like, I kind of want to do this, but I am going to get laughed at like they're going to, they're going to assume like, well, you know, well, what courses have you been taking or do you have an MFA or do you, and I just remember thinking like, I've never taken a class in poetry. I, and here I am wanting to write poetry. I'm not allowed to do that. Or I am not a creative writing major. I was an English minor, but mostly because I like to read a lot of, you know, books. And I just, I met with a guy who was um, heading the, the workshop and I sort of told him what I wanted to do. And he was like, yeah, just join us. And you know, there was no like form I had to fill out. There was no application or, or test that I had to do. And um, I do remember being a little bit afraid that I was going to get laughed at, you know, like this is not what you're an expert at. You can't possibly be good at this. Stay in your um, lane. Right. Stay in your lane do your yeah. own thing and I also I had this little secret fear that people would be like if you're a physician and you're doing these other things like being, writing creatively you're not a good physician like if all of your focus isn't on your work then you can't possibly be a good doctor and so I had a lot of these issues sort of at war in my brain and when I joined the group what I found was that they were just incredibly supportive they didn't laugh at me um, I wrote some things and they would show me what I did well, and they would say, you could do this better, and let's show you how. And it was just a really warming and welcoming environment. And it was absolutely mind-blowing to me. Like, because I didn't have to prove myself. I could just be there and try. And it was extraordinary. And I it sort of lit a fire under me and I kept writing. I went from going, I went from doing sort of like nonfiction essays about patient care and then writing poetry. And then about a year into it, I was taking this workshop over and over again. Like every semester I kept rejoining it. And then um, somewhere in in the, like after my second or third um, uh, workshop, I was like, I'm gonna write a young adult novel. I just feel like it. And I remember asking a couple people in the group, I was like, I think I'm thinking of writing a young adult novel. And they're just like, go for it. Like nobody laughed, nobody said, that's not literature. Nobody said, like, oh, that must be easy. Like, you know, young adult, ha, that's a joke. I actually really enjoyed writing those, reading those books, and and I wasn't shamed for it, and I just went for it, and that's how I got, I I wrote three novels before my third one got picked up by an agent and got published, and that was Control, Um, but it was just, I have to, uh, just a huge thank you to the, um, you know, the writing community here in Omaha, Nebraska. Many of, many of these people are, are still like really good friends of mine um, and they're just continuing to cheer me along the way, but that's, that's how it started was just overcoming this fear that like, I wasn't allowed to do this. Mm. Wow, there's so much there. It's
1: incredible how important being surrounded by the right people is to help you towards what you want.
0: It's very important because there are going to be a lot of people who tell you, um, and, and they, they won't say it to your face. They won't say like, you should not do that. They'll just make these little, these little comments that are, are just really hurtful about things like that. Or um, like, I think I, I, I knew somebody who every time I was sort of interested in doing a writing thing, they just were just like, huh, okay. And they wouldn't ask me any more about it. Like I just wanted to end the conversation and you could tell that they were just not interested in supporting me Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, You could just feel it. And I'm a pretty empathic person. So I pick up on that very, and I'm sort of like, I get it. You don't want to talk to me about that. That's fine. Um, And uh, you know, there were also people in my life who were like, you can't possibly be a good mother and be spending all your free time writing. Like, why aren't you spending that time on your children? And that was a very painful dig at me wow. as uh, as a parent sort of you're already doing this and you're doing that and like you can't you must be you must be ignoring your children if you're going to pick up this other endeavor wow. and do it was that actually said
1: to you or was it little like microaggressions that were coming through in the conversation it was, it was
0: somewhere in between um I'll be pretty frank about this because it was my mother and my mom will never listen to this podcast That's probably why I'm saying this, you know, but like, you know, anybody who listens to this, like, don't go at my mom. Okay. Like don't go for her because. And
1: that's the thing though. I'm sorry to interrupt,
0: but that's so common. You know, I
1: think so often when we want to stretch outside our, um, when we want to get out our, get out of our lane, when we want to, you know, okay, I want to go try this new thing. It's our closest friends, family, loved ones, very often, that aren't as supportive. And I think there can be a number of reasons for that. but I think I think sometimes it's so well intentioned that very often they're just afraid for you. You know, there yes. there's a um, wanting wanting all the best for you, but not understanding your need to grow and explore. Yes. and not being able to see you in this other aspect because they've known who you've been,
0: not who you're becoming. Right, and change is really frightening, right? So you're suddenly saying you're interested in doing something and they can't see it. And so all they can see is stress, failure. You're putting all this energy into something. There's no, there's no, um, you know, rule or, you know, that says it's absolutely going to happen, right? And so there's, you know, when you go, into medical school, it's very different. There's like a very clear path that you take, right? You have to get good grades. You gotta take your MCAT. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. And if all goes well, it sort of, it does happen. Um, with writing, it there is no guarantee. Not that there's any guarantee in trying to become a physician, but if you play by the rules, like it'll happen, right? Yeah. With writing, oh, yeah. there are no rules. There's no like, and I didn't go to school for this. You know, it's not like I went to graduate school And got a graduate degree. It's not like I was teaching at a university in English. So there was no road. There was no path. And, um, I think that at the time, um, you know, she didn't have the vision. And I think there were the people who weren't super supportive of me did not have the vision that this could be a possible thing. And, um, and I think that they were also, they lived a life very different than mine. You know, I was a working mom. Um, and here I was taking on more work and, um, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom. And so I don't think she could understand where I could find the time. I think she thought I was literally conjuring hours out of the day that didn't exist. Right. <laughs> and I think that there was one big like moment where she was like, I, I just don't understand where you find the time to write. When you have all these things, you've got three kids, you've got a husband, you've got this other job, like it's too much. How do you do it? And I would say, in the evening, I don't watch television. I don't watch... I don't sit down like after dinner and like you know watch a show or something and she was like what (laughs) it was the funniest response she was like you don't and i was like no i don't i don't do any of that stuff i just i spend my evening writing and or something like that and so you know the, the places where she had time to do things i would carve the time out and i i it's amazing when you have a huge passion for something Even if you have a really, really busy day, you somehow manage to find these itty bitty bits of time. And even if you've got 15 minutes or 20 minutes, which I would, I would be like at a piano lesson with a kid and I would pop open my laptop and I'm like, all right, I have 20 minutes before this lesson's over. And you're just like, do, 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 just, you just get to it because you can't, you really want to. So I I made the time for it. And, um, and, it and I had a lot of support. My husband was super supportive. Um, and that also helped quite a bit absolutely so but yeah yeah, you find you find the support where you need it and you have to just you know keep in mind that there will be some people who aren't and and um sort of take a deep breath and look to where your friends are who really um want the best for you and and, yeah
1: use that support lean on that very often i think it's uh, when it comes especially when it comes to the arts people who have regular jobs with those um direct, more direct routes, or like you said, there, there's a, there's a prescribed route through medical school to becoming a doctor, right? You, Mm -hmm. you know, the milestones you're supposed to hit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I was an actress for many years. There is no, there is no path like that. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's, it is just something that you keep carving and you keep looking at the next thing and you and you you pivot and you go as you go. And it, I think it's really hard for people who have a, a regular job or who have gone that more prescribed route. It's hard for people to understand that uncertain path.
0: Yes especially when in writing there's a lot of writing that happens well before there's any so-called validation of having something Mm. printed and published. Right. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of different ways that people publish, you know, there's a traditional route with, um, you know, the, um, the companies that will put your book in Barnes and Noble, right. There are, you know, smaller publishing houses, there's writing poetry and getting things submitted to magazines and published there or journals. There's self-publishing, you know, so there's there's so many ways to do this where you can measure your success. And it's hard for people because sometimes they can't see, um, maybe they're just waiting for you to be like Stephen King. And it's like, no, that's not going to happen to <laughs> most humans on earth. There is no other Stephen King and John Grisham. And like, we're not going to, you know, you're not gonna necessarily be this person. And, um, but uh, now that, you know, now that I've published 10 books, you know, um, it it does help a, a bit, I think, for the naysayers to be like, oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm, I'm struck by it when you started, exactly. when you started that you were like, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't have the training I didn't have. We can talk ourselves out of doing things because because we can look to those those markers those you know not having uh, a designated expertise that says yes here you are you have permission to go right yeah you know exactly exactly it's so interesting and I, i totally get where you're going with this whole thing of like that slow not having something to show for your effort for a while you know it's it's funny how many people ask me um, so how do you make money on the podcast? And I'm like, I don't, I don't. And, and that's right. okay. Like I'm doing this because I love it. And, yes. and, and frankly, full disclosure, I hope someday that I can figure out how I can make money around the podcast related to what I'm doing. But in the meantime, the process itself is gratifying to me. hmm you know?
0: Absolutely. And there's, you know, let's, to be quite frank, there are many, many people who are published authors who cannot make a living off of writing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get a $5,000 advance for a book and eventually you get, you know, the book sells through and whatever, but like you might end up making, you know, if you're lucky, ten to $15,000 on a book over the course of three years, you know, that's below poverty. You cannot live. You can't live on that, right. and I think that the realities, the financial realities around writing, are not great for many, many people. So um, you have to, you have to love it. You have to have a backup plan in many cases, or a supportive partner, um, or uh, just sort of have a game plan for if This is something that you're going to do. Do you are you doing it for love? Do you really enjoy it? Um, and if you do want this to be something where that's lucrative that you can live off of. Um, you know, how how do you plan on making that happen? Because a lot of people's sort of second jobs in life are not necessarily creative, right? They could just be, I actually want to start a, a business and I want to own, I want to like, you know, I, I want to make cupcakes and have a, a brick and mortar store where I just become like the biggest cupcake seller in this town. And that's, that's not something that you can do um, and not make money because you won't survive. Right. So everybody's got different goals at hand and different things that are going to, um, that they have to really consider time and investment and, and all that sort of stuff. But like, I think the bottom line, when it comes to finding this new, um, passion in middle life is that it is a passion, right? Otherwise it's not fun. Otherwise, um, you wouldn't be wanting to do it because everybody's looking for this sort of spark. Uh, when they're looking for this type of um, thing to move into, and it's a very hard thing to explain, but you know it when you f- feel it—that it's something that you're ready to dive into.
1: Um, yes, yeah. yes, I, I yes, I can attest to that. Like when I became a photographer, I, this is when I turned forty, and it literally came to me as a Shazam moment overnight, after having been laid off from a job in 2008 and the whole recession and all that, I, I told my husband, I don't know what I be, wanna be when I grow up and he was like, sleep on it and you're gonna be fine. And I woke up in the morning <laughs> and it was so random, but I knew in my heart, you know, I had been trying to take good photos of my kids with my little point and shoot camera, you know, for a couple of years and was frustrated cause I couldn't get what I knew I wanted, mm-hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it was just, I knew that that was like, what was next? And the same thing with the podcast, it was, I knew that this was just something for two years, it was niggling at me in the back of my brain
0: you need to start this podcast. You need to Mm -hmm. do this. You need to do this, you know? right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I know exactly. So it is that, it's that feeling. And it's also, there's a little bit of that. And this is something that I think maybe, actually, maybe young people, younger people do feel this, but there's also that a little bit of that, um, that ticking clock. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. When You're sort of like, I'm 50. (laughs) I'm not 20. I don't have like, you know, 70 years ahead of me. Like I have less time and I don't wanna be wasting my time and I wanna be doing things that I like. And um, and sometimes that means splitting the time between what makes you money and what you love. Often, mm-hmm. If you're lucky, those two are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're lucky, uh, it's, it's more than one thing, right? Um, but I think that we do have to acknowledge that there is a certain way that we grew up where um, with our parents, it was like, or at least with most parents, it was like, You have this one thing that you're going to do and you do it for the rest of your life and that is your identity and that is does not have to be how it is anymore
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and then you retire and you
1: slow down and Mm -hmm. right that's the old
0: model but we're living longer we are and we aren't like you know it used to be (laughs) that you imagine somebody who is 50 years old and you're seeing tons of gray hair and you're seeing somebody who's just sort of like you know just Kind of falling apart physically and mentally and they're slowing down and sort of like that and i it, it, it's just this very very dated view of what um different decades are like right i i feel like we are lucky in that our generation at least generation x you know um we take way better care of ourselves and a lot of times the generation before us said we don't smoke as much we don't drink as much uh, we exercise more um, and it's I think it's showing is that we have a vibrancy that is that we should take advantage of. You know, we are aging slower because we take better care of ourselves.
1: yeah, um, what our parents take- didn't know, right? Yeah,, the, right. Yeah. so yeah. and we have so much information available to us now about what can keep us healthy and what is not so good to do. you know, and i I think about, when my parents were growing up, like to go to get out and go running, that was odd.
0: Yeah, right? you were weird. <laughs> you were doing <laughs> yeah, If you right? were if growing up in the 70s and the early 80s, and there was a, a mom who was taking an hour out of their day to go and exercise all the time, you'd be like, oh my God, that's one of those jazzercise freaks. Like what is wrong with that person? Right. That's not what moms do. Moms were at home. Moms were making lunches. Moms were making dinners, at least the moms that I, that I sort of knew. And, um, I think that it's funny, it's, it's worked out, I think, to figure this out now, because I tell this to my, my patients all the time, you know, they'll, they'll say that they're going to retire. And I start to get really nervous. Cause I'm like, you know, when you retire and you decide you're not going to, interacting with as many people your brain is not going to be as busy you're not going to be as engaged I was like that's when you start to see people really slow down and so I really encourage people and I'm like you you've got to be as busy as you are in retirement or in your later years as you are when you're working I tell people not to quit they'll be like oh I'm thinking of quit I'll be like don't quit <laughs> because the people who live to like 100 are the ones that quit when they were like 89. Like they just kept going. They were just super busy. They were always like doing things. They kept themselves occupied. And I think that a lot of us are sort of like, we're not, you know, we're definitely looking to enjoy our relaxation, but not in a really sedentary, like, you know, bump on a log kind of way. Like we are, we want to travel, we want to do things. And we want to sort of like actively enjoy our life. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're aging. This generation's aging better. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that we all sort of keep it up well into our, you know, our latter century. Um, yeah. Because, you know, we only get one life. And I don't know about you, but I do feel the clock ticking a little bit. And I feel like I just want to get as much out of this life as I, as I can. And so I enjoy being busy and keeping myself filled with all these things to do and that sort of thing. I love it yeah me too i yeah
1: and then and then it brings up the question for me i have to tell you i for I was i've been afraid of aging i'm more afraid of aging and becoming um becoming unable to do the things i want to do not being independent that those are my fears more so than dying mm-hmm. i'm not i don't i honestly don't think i'm as afraid of dying as i am of of becoming old uh, in a way that is um, where I'm where I'm dependent, and then uh, though, I have to question why am I afraid of that? Why am I afraid? It may be the eventuality. No matter what I do, I can do everything I can to stay healthy, do my exercise. You know, I I do all the thing, all the things, all the things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To to try yeah. to stay healthy, I still might end up losing my sight. I still might end up losing my hearing, and and I and The more I explore this path of looking at aging and what does it mean to age well, I have to wonder, well, why am I so afraid of losing that independence? And where am I trying to go with this other than to say, I feel like I will make adjustments as needed. Yeah. You know, I'm becoming more confident in my ability to age well, no matter what ends up happening with my body. Yes. You know,
0: mm-hmm. there, I think there's a lot of fear of losing the sense of self, right? That yes. We are very, very independent people. We're very capable people. And, you know, um, as both of us as being like sort of working moms, you know, it, there's, there's this sort of, um, for a very long time now we've been taking care of everybody right Mm -hmm. and so it's a very strange thing to to think that other people might have to take care of us or that we might need to ask for help it's a big shift in our sense of identity and I think that's something that we are always going to have to address as we age because um what changes your concept of who you are is is going to change because we are going to age and things are going to happen you know Um, I I always like to tell people like, you know, if you have to use a cane to get by, um, you can't look at the cane as a weakness. You've got to look at it as a tool, right? You need a car to drive 20 miles. You don't think of that as a weakness because you can't run 20 miles. It's like a tool, right? And that's the same thing with hearing aids. It's the same thing with glasses or getting surgery or these are the things that you need to sort of um, to keep going. And as you do it, you also need to have the wherewithal to understand that things are going to change um, whether you like it or not, and you can take it gracefully or you cannot. And by taking it gracefully, doesn't mean lying down and dying. It just means understanding that you are going to have to just be okay with some of these changes. You're not gonna be super happy about them, but acknowledge that, that they're there and that you need some of these assistances as you get older. That you will need to lean on people which is a really uncomfortable thing for somebody like me who's always used to doing everything by myself um but uh yeah um you know i used to be able to lift enormous amounts of things like so like really heavy things which is really shocking because i'm a very tiny person um and i have no problems be like i'm not lifting that anymore it's gonna hurt my back not doing that i go into a grocery store i find the tallest person in the i and I'd be like, hi, Mr. I was like, could you please get that box of cereal for me? I have no problems doing that. I'm like, you know, I feel like everything, we are all like a big community out to help each other. And when I get a chance to help an elderly lady across the street, I am going to do it. Um, and it, it's sort of, uh, it's kind of okay, but you can go into it kicking and screaming, or you can go into it um, acknowledging that you would like to kick and scream and then just moving forward.
1: Yeah in general i am really trying to get more comfortable with the idea of asking for help that has nothing to do with with my aging that has nothing to do with my abilities so much that i have a certain amount of bandwidth and it's and i and i'm doing my, back. it has been such a hard, it like, it's hard to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I find it to be incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, it's this vulnerability that comes from asking for help. And I'm trying to open up to that more and more as often as I can with the idea that, as you said, you're there to help other people. I know that I'm there to help other people as well that there's this Mm -hmm. exchange there's an interchange of Mm -hmm. of that and if it comes to the point where the scale tips and i need to receive more than i give i'm gonna have to get comfortable with that yeah you know
0: i think so and i think that it's um i think there's this sort of myth that i think we've all been living with for a very long time which is that you can have it all you can be balanced you can have this you know you can have family you can have a job you can you know maintain your friendships you can be healthy you can do all these sort of things at the same time and it's this sort of like sheen of invulnerability like this perfection that we are all trying and i think that's what why social media is so frustrating right and we we people talk about this all the time, how you're looking through Instagram and everybody's life looks so perfect and it's not, yeah. and you, you know, everybody knows their own life isn't perfect. And, and, you know, there are some times when what balance means is that you can't have everything at once or something takes precedent for that day or that hour. And then you, you move to other things. Um, and, uh, and I think there is, I, I think there's a certain pride in that we have in sort of like, Oh, we're handling it. We're taking care of business. We, we have everything under control and to, to, to have to say that you don't have something under control is a real vulnerability and it's it can be sort of embarrassing. But, yeah, um, do
1: you think it's a real American thing?
0: Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think there's yeah. a great deal of pride of people who are like, I'm going to make you know three casseroles for these people who are all in the hospital because I'm helping them and I have my act together. It's a lot harder, I think, for someone else to go out there and just feel like I need help um, because asking for help is equated with failure and they are not the same thing right? Um, Just at different periods of time, you just have to, you have to hold each other up. And I'm not going to be very good about it, honestly. I like if, if I'm ill, and people start sending casseroles to my house, um, I will be shocked. I'll be like you. (laughs) I was like, I didn't know you cared. Like, I didn't know that you would actually do these things. Because I just sort of assume, I don't know, I, I guess I just don't know that people care that much about me, even though you sort of know that they do. But then when they actually show it, it's just like really kind of heart-wrenching and wonderful, but if that, so, but yeah, I think that we all sort of deal with that in different ways. And I think there are some people who are really good at asking for help and they sort of have it down now of knowing when to reach out. Um, but that's something that you kind of have to learn how to do, Yeah. I think, as time yeah. goes on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I think that, um, I think that vulnerability, you know, to sort of bring it back to the things that I went through when I started writing, um that's there as well because I when I first started like I told you I didn't have an MFA I didn't you know I wasn't an English major all this kind of stuff but I went into it very much knowing that I had so much to learn and I wasn't afraid to be like I don't know how to do this or I don't know how to do this part or like what about this technique I don't understand it um and I was really really open to that and that was hard for me because here I was I was a physician I was an expert in my field and then to go into something else and be like i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> it was a little embarrassing but at the same time i was like if i'm going to be any good at this and i'm actually going to write well enough to get my book on a shelf in a bookstore i have to get better and i need more skills and to need more skills and to actually get those skills i have to admit that i don't have them and i have to be open to to learning and so i was it's i think it's particularly hard for people who are in their midlife, who are probably experts in whatever they've been doing for the last 30, 40, 50 years. Right? Yeah. To suddenly be like, I'm a 50-year-old person who is in a class full of potters and all the other potters in this class are 22 and don't have a gut. Absolutely, (laughs) and it actually
1: is my theory. And here, let me (laughs) ask you a question about that. If you can take yourself back in time to when you first started writing And you were going through that, that, that painful process of being a beginner, of not being an expert. I wonder if what your experience was of the flip side of the anxiety that comes with that. Did, did you get like little butterflies in your stomach when like, you know, the, the really good, excited kind of butterflies. Was Mm -hmm. that a thing for you in going to this group? in participating in the, in the, in the writing practice that you were starting to pick up, did you have that sense of excitement to go with the fear?
0: I did for sure. Because, you know, I would like, you know, write a poem or write an essay or something like that. And I would read it and some being somebody who actually does, you know, I read plenty, I would be like, I think this is actually okay. I think this this might actually be good. And so there's that excitement of, and I get this every time I get an idea for a new book or a new story, I get that it's, I get very tingly. Like I literally like feel tingles along my spine and I'm just like, oh, this is a really good idea. This could be amazing. Readers might absolutely love that. And then... But then, there, then there comes the actual like, oh, I have to write this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> oh crap! <laughs> it's a great idea in my brain, but now next comes the eighty thousand words that follow. Um, right. And yes. what if they what if they don't like it or whatever? So, um, but you know, there is that tingle of anticipation of sort of like, I think I wrote something special, and I think this might be well received. Um, and and inevitably, with anything that comes creatively, there's also the sort of sour of some people aren't going to like it and they'll be vocal about it. And that's really painful. I mean, if you go to my Amazon page, you can see that there are plenty of one-star reviews and I don't read them, Um, but it's not for everybody. And you have to also understand that like everybody has different tastes. And so whatever you do, is gonna rub some people the wrong way and, or they're not going to like it. You know, you might decide that you're gonna become a painter. And there's some people who are like, you're 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 doing portraits and I like abstract art. And I'm just yeah, not into it. You're you know, not and going everybody's to like, ah. flavor.
1: yeah, exactly. absolutely. You know, in fact, you know, there are people I'm a big Harry Potter fan, but there are people who've never read a Harry Potter book. That's not mm-hmm. They they're like, Oh, I I tried and it wasn't it just didn't Okay. Yeah you know i mean Mm -hmm. you you can't point to something that's made more money and been you know more successful and had more you know uber fans right yeah um same thing with star wars i'm a huge star wars fan and there are people i meet who
0: are like i've never seen it oh my god who are these people (laughs) like who are you i I have to i have to i have to just sort of do a little shout out i'm writing a book for star wars right now what i am that's awesome for I'm, like as part of the star wars franchise like yes. you're you're writing oh my yes, gosh I'm, that's um, so cool i'm writing an adult novel it's called cataclysm and it's part of the phase two of the high republic um world right now and i'm ah. right in the middle of writing it so how did
1: that happen i, I need don't to know, know.
0: <laughs> i don't know how it happened you know, See, I was writing... can you tell what a star wars geek i am i'm like Ooh. oh my god it's so <laughs> exciting it's it's super exciting. Like I, um, so the way it happened was, well, I would written um, some science fiction in young adult in the young adult realm, right? And somehow somebody, and I still don't know, and I'm almost afraid to ask, but somebody somewhere in the Star Wars world, like Disney, Lucasfilm, whatever, they um, they contacted my agent, and they're like, hey, we are writing a anthology um, for the anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back and we're writing 40 so it was like the 40th anniversary and they're like they're like we're writing 40 stories um that all are from the perspective of somebody in the empire strikes back so you get to write a short story and it would be canon like you get to and and they were like would you like to write one and I was at this, my immediate I read the email and I said to my husband I'm like the Star Wars people want me to write a short story I, I can't do it. And he goes, are you bananas? Of course you're going to write it because he's a huge fan too. Huge fan. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm like, this is Star Wars. this is a big deal. Like, what if I screw it up? And he was like, he's like, let me just answer that email. But he's like practically pushing me out of the way. He's like, let me answer that email for me. Yes, she will do it. Uh, and I was like, okay. I was like, I don't know. And I finally said yes. When I thought, well, who am I going to write about? Like what perspective am I going to write about from the empire strikes back? That I'm gonna feel comfortable with because I know that there's a lot you have to get. I mean, writing in another world that is already in existence, a Star Wars, Star Wars universe, was so like really intimidating. Yeah. And so I was thinking about the 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 um the movie, and I was like, oh, you know, at the end of the movie, actually twice during that movie, Luke is hurt and he's taken care of by 21B, who is the surgical droid. And at the end of the movie, when his hand is cut off by Darth Vader, 21B reattaches the hand. And all you see is the hand is on, and then he's got his arm around Leia, and they're looking out of the ship. tableau, yes, (laughs) yes. It's it's uh beautiful. But you can see his face has changed from being one of anguish when he finds finds out about his father, and his father just cut his hand off, to his hand is repaired, he's got his arm around Leia, he's looking out to the stars, and there's hope in his heart, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what happened between that scene and that scene? And I was like, there was a doctor in the room. And I'm like, I know how to do that. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I was like, I'm going to write it. this scene and we're going to see what happens in this patient doctor relationship between 21B and Luke Skywalker and how he gets him to this place of hope again. So I was like, I can do that because I know how to be a doctor. And so I wrote it and I it was called The Right Hand Man. Um <gasps> And um, it, it was pretty, it was pretty well received, and then I was like, "Cool, that was it." You know, I I actually did it. I'm in the Star Wars universe, like you know, like check that box off. It's pretty amazing. And then they came to me like about a year later, and they're just like, "Would you like to write a novel for us?" And I was like, "No, I can't. Do, I can't do that. I can't do that." And once again, my husband's like, "Are you bananas? Of course you're gonna say us. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, yes, I will do it. Totally scared. Totally. And this is a big deal because writing a novel is." very different from writing a short story because there's a whole cast of characters and it's very, very different. So, so yeah, I'm writing that right now. And uh, I went from, you know, 12, 13 years ago to being like, I would like to write, but I don't think I can do this to actually having a career in writing books. And it's been an absolute amazing trip. Um, I
1: just want to say to anybody (laughs) listening right now, I want you paying attention right now. This is what's possible when you say yes to your intuition. This is what is possible when you don't let the no. Oh my gosh, I can't do that. When you don't let that win and you actually take the baby steps, it's not like it happened overnight, right? Mm-mm. No, not at all. yeah, it's it's like you 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 went. Oh, let's go check this out. Let me write this yeah. thing. Oh, okay, now let me submit. Oh, okay. Well, let me submit some other stuff. Mm, that didn't work. Okay. It you keep changing, you keep finding your
0: way, right? Yeah, you keep finding your way, you keep learning. You yeah. um. And let me be clear, I have so many rejections under my belt, so many. I mean, like to get that, to try to get an agent the first time, I think I had 120 rejections. Second time around, I had somewhere like 90 rejections. Third time around, I think I had 70 rejections. I have so many rejections, I can't even add them up. Thank you for saying that. Yes, and once I got my first book deal, Um, it's not like every time I spit out a book, somebody was like, oh, let me just pay you a hundred thousand dollars for that. Like that, that's not how it happened. I have written books, complete books that have never seen the light of day since then that have been rejected. I have been, I have had proposals where I've gone on submission with all these different editors that have not gotten sold. So I, I have been rejected a lot and it continues to happen. Every time I have an idea for a book, I have to fight tooth and claw to get that out there and it doesn't always happen so i don't want to say that this it's in many ways this is a fairy tale because many things many many good things have happened and yes i have published a lot of books um but there has been heartache there has been i have my little writing heart has been bruised many times i have felt like a complete loser um while doing this i have felt like my career was over before it began um and that's that's part of the deal and it, it and i have you know it's just It is a difficult, working in a creative environment is really, really challenging. It can be really hard. Um, Just like anybody who's really, you know, putting their passion into something, there will be setbacks. There will be disappointments. Um, There will be times where you don't want to go on. And there will be times when you say, I need to switch, I need to switch off. Like I have a very, very good friend who wrote like, oh my gosh, we've been writing around the same amount of time. And I think she's written somewhere around like 30 books, like three times as many as me in the same span of time. And she is, uh, she has just opened up her private practice, um, as a psychologist and is very successful. So she, she, she's giving her, um, her writing a pause while she does yet something different. And so she's sort of like on chapter three of her life and, you know, she's my age or whatever. So, you know, sometimes, um, these things, you take a left turn, even though you have, you know, put a bunch of, time into that. And that is okay too. Remember like your, your life does not have to be this like perfect story. Um, It's going to have twists and turns and you're going to make left turns and right turns and sort of fall off cliffs sometimes. And that's going to happen too. You know, Um, that's just life. (laughs) It's never perfect. It's never clean.
1: It's so true. It's so true. You know, we, if we can stay open and curious and comfortable with the unknown. Um, there's so much to be had. I mean, there's so much to be learned. There's so much growth, you know. Uh, and thank you for, for that example of your friend. Um, you know, we 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 get into a place where, as you said, you kept, you come to this point in your life and you probably have some expertise in some area of your life and there's a comfort level that goes with that, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then stepping into something new puts you in that vulnerable place, but that's where all that growth is. That's where you really get to know yourself and what you're capable of.
0: Yes. You know? Absolutely, and I think that it's it's good to try to step outside of yourself and have perspective. You know, there are some people who are in academia and just running this sort of like, just climbing the ladder, right? You know, promotion and tenure and that sort of thing. And then you've got this cap on your head that says you're a tenured professor and you're you're done, right? But it doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't have to be like I've achieved maximum coolness in this job and like there's nothing left for me to do. Um, I have a friend who sort of achieved that and is now thinking of sort of tossing it aside and doing something different because she's like, I'm as good as I am in this and I I'm not going to get better. And I'm getting a little bored, to be honest, to be an expert in my field who just, this is easy now. I want to be challenged and do something different. Yeah. And it is a real shock because a lot of people who are in whatever field that they're in, there's a particular path of success and people will be shocked and upset when you decide to step outside that lane. Because they're like, why are you not doing, this is what we're supposed to do. Why are you not doing it? You're breaking the rules and it's freaking people out. It will freak people out. You it know? will.
1: It, yeah. it will. People will not know what to do with you.
0: Nope.
1: Nope.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh I mean, goodness. honestly, you have to, you do have to do this with a reasonable amount of safety involved. You know, you have to provide for yourself and make sure that you can, um, that you can be okay while this is sort of happening. Um, and be, you know, it's, it's also very hard to make these turns when you have people dependent on you, when you've got kids Absolutely. or
1: and Absolutely. grandparents, or I like to like say that. baby steps are, are, you know, baby steps mm-hmm. are totally appropriate that, you know, if there's something that you want to do that, um, you know, it's, it's like dip your toes. And, and then, and see where that goes, right? you know, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be all at once. I think so often we, we think it has, it has to be yesterday. There's that urgency, right? (laughs) And um, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be yesterday. It doesn't have to be today. It can be like, okay, let's try this and see where this goes. And then you can start, I have a friend who likes to say, you can't steer a parked car. And I keep thinking about that whenever I find myself in that stuck place. Cause I get, I, I get there, you know, I have ideas and and things that I want to do and, Oh, Nope. There comes the old blocks and the fear and the, but, you know, but at least I, I have to keep reminding myself, okay, just,
0: just get the car rolling slowly. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, absolutely. That is, I have to remember that you can't see a parked car. That is brilliant. Um, for anybody who actually knows how to drive, because, um, I will do that sometimes. Like, I will be like, I have this idea and it's just not, it's like, I want it out there and I want this book to sell and I want to start writing it. But like, I haven't even written a word of it yet. And so I start stressing out over the potential that's being lost over something that I haven't even done.
1: Mm. And,
0: and, um, and when that happens, you know, whenever I start a project, I, I always tell people like, for me personally, the hardest part is writing that first page. Is like that blank sheet of paper, rather blank, you know, Word document or Scribner document where there's nothing there. And I'm just like, this is going to be terrible. Like, how can I possibly write a first sentence that's going to blow away my readers and just start off this? And then what I end up doing is I I end up writing this separate piece of this page of like just aphorisms and things. I just psych myself up and I'm like, it is OK if, 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 if this your first draft can be really like. Bleepity bleep bad, like oh my really, gosh, really, really yes. bleepity bleep bad. And I my just speaking write that coach there.
1: has us do a well. I'm just gonna say it. The, sorry, shitty first draft yes. is what the yes. you know, and <laughs> exactly. and she's just like. And when she said that, like the first time I was writing, well, it's the only talk I've ever written, but having that permission to make
0: it bad, yeah, that it's But then you have something to work with, right? Yeah. It's sort of like you're molding clay. And you can't do anything if there's no clay on there. But if you have like a really ugly looking like you know pot, you can at least shape it into something prettier. But in the beginning, if you have nothing, you have nothing. And I I just give myself permission with anybody who's doing anything, you have this inner, well, at least in writing, you have this inner editor that is just looking over your shoulder saying like, this is terrible, this is terrible. Your writing is awful, you know? And you sort of wanna just push that person away and just be like, I'm not gonna let myself write this have it be bad. I will take the cliches out and fix them later and take out the wrong long sentences and put periods where they need to be. But just, and then as soon as things start flowing, like all these, you know, everything sort of gets oiled up and the joints start moving better. And like the gears start actually moving and, and you sort of get into that, you know, that mode and it works, it works. Okay. But sometimes you have to give yourself permission to just, just be messy and put stuff out there start you know taking notes and put out really re- what ideas that you think are really d- ridiculous because from that can come some really really good you know kernels of wisdom or ideas and things like that um but it is okay to put just you know just put out the shitty first draft. to be completely honest <laughs> oh my goodness i'm looking at the time lydia i can't
1: even believe oh it my gosh that. yes look at that <laughs> right how did that happen um so I could keep talking to you i feel like i could go, go on and on i'm gonna cut us off because that was wonderful the you know get it out there start with just start with the shitty first draft
0: yep know that you have to learn whatever even writing. if you're not writing yeah.
1: it doesn't yeah. have to be about writing it can be about whatever a person wants to do like just just get started just let get it be started bad
0: and know that you have skills to learn and you're you're going to probably be bad at it it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable like wearing someone else's shoes but eventually there will be your shoes and you'll get better at it um, and it's it's totally scary you know find the people who are going to support you um steer clear of the people who are the naysayers you know if they've got reasonable advice hear it write it down log it somewhere and then push it away and just sort of keep going um mm-hmm. and you know take care of yourself while you're doing this but it's it's uh it's an exciting time and it's something that everybody should try to to explore. You know, you don't you not not everybody's meant to be on a single lane for the rest of their lives up until the horizon. You know, things branch off, things change. Yeah. it's okay. I love that idea
1: that you can't step into the same river twice. You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. we're changing
1: all the time. Who who you were yesterday may not be who you are today. Like mm-hmm. you you know if you're if you're paying attention you're probably a little different than you were 10 years ago you know and if you're still hanging on to those old ideas anyway like i said i could go on and on (laughs) oh my gosh i have loved talking to you um folks i can't recommend the book enough half-life of ruby fielding and i can't wait to to check out your young adult Um, fiction, the sci-fi style. I'm a sci-fi fan, clearly. So I will be going and looking up all your
0: stuff and and checking it out. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the talk too. This is great. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye bye and take care. Bye. Well, there you have it. You know,
1: I meet people like Lydia it's so easy to look at somebody who's a doctor who's written ten novels and think, eh, it's easy for them. They've got it all figured out. And I'm I love hearing from people like that 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 it's not easy for them. They just have a way of working through the discomfort and the fear that they are facing, just like any of us. And uh, yeah, I hope that whatever it is that's niggling around in the back of your mind that you want to try, that you've been stopping yourself on, I hope this encourages you to take a little step forward. And man, oh man, I'd love to hear from you. If you have started something new recently or thinking about it and decided to take a little step, let me know. Um, You can send me an email at living at gmail.com. And yeah, join us July 12th, 9 p.m. Eastern time for a little pate to get started with the Midlife Uprising community. Oh my gosh, it is going to be so much fun. I hope you can be there. You can check out um, a little more information about the community at midlifeuprising.com. And even if you can't make the party, I hope you will join the community and see what happens. See who you meet. See who, you know, yeah, just explore. Anyway, that's about it. That's it for me this week, I think. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.